guess what? Hey, what? Did you know that October is Pastor Appreciation Month? Is it? Or as we call it as a Churches of Christ, October. <laughs> we do appreciate you, though. Thank you. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> How are you this morning? Very well. Very well. All right. Hey, a uh, couple of things real quick. As Burke said, tonight, 5 p.m., gate 11, be here, okay? Um, I want to share with you just a couple of um, thoughts, a short video on groups. really appreciate the intergenerational relationships that I'm able to build and it's a way for me to find family away from family and being as my family is very far away that's been very important. To me small groups help you get to know one another at a deeper level than you do in a large Bible class. It's a great way to learn from one another it also promotes a lot of accountability in the group. I've really enjoyed small groups because it's been a time that I could get to know some people I wouldn't normally get to know, people of different ages and backgrounds, and uh, I've also gotten to know them at a deeper level, kind of a more intimate setting, meeting in homes. It's been great. I have always enjoyed small groups. To me, it's a time for me to build relationships and apply God's Word to my life. To me, it's almost like a similarity to what the church looked like before a building was ever built. Small groups are a great way to strengthen relationships. And one of the things I've enjoyed about small groups, in addition to hearing different opinions and perspectives, is learning about what's going on in the lives of the group members. My favorite thing about small group is uh, just being able to come together in each other's homes and to build those deeper relationships in a more personal environment. And what I really enjoy is how encouraging it is. Um, you really get to know the people that you're in a group with and you get to know what's going on in their life and you pray for them all week and you know that they're doing the same for you. Um, small groups officially started a few years ago and Danny uh, led a group. We got to know some couples that we um, probably wouldn't have otherwise. I'm just really glad that we had the opportunity to do that and I would just want to encourage everybody to um, be a part of a small group and give it a chance and um, I'm looking forward to getting to know some new people as we start back up again and uh, hopefully get out and work together and uh, share uh, the Lord uh, with our community working together with uh, people in our small group. So tonight at 5 p.m. be here and we realized there was um, the possibility of um, people saying, I'm not coming because the Cowboys play at 325 and the Rangers play at 630. So just let me indulge you. If you don't care about this, just you get to pause and check out for two minutes. Okay? If you're not coming because of that, set your DVR, Cowboys, Rangers, when you get home, add an hour. Watch the first half of the game, come to group link, go home, Watch the second half of the game, skipping commercials. You should be just about time to catch the start of the Ranger game in the third inning. And by the time you catch up to live TV, it'll be in the ninth. Don't check Facebook. No one come tonight and talk about the games. Fair enough? Yes. Be here.
Um, I, I would really encourage you to be here tonight to find out um, what groups is going to look like as we begin e-groups this year. Um, and so, as we start this morning, um, kind of a confession. Um, I got here today, and I was telling Mike, I just decided that I wasn't going to preach the sermon I have written over the last four weeks um, today. And for me, that's really hard, um, because it was beautiful. Um, <laughs> best I've ever heard. Um, but as I was kind of looking at it, it just didn't have a lot of life, and so um, I did this. And so we're just going to see. Um, I'm hoping it's the Holy Spirit speaking and not the chicken wings I ate last night. Um, but as we begin, let's um, go to God and ask him to bless us this morning. Father, we thank you for this time. And Father, I pray that you would speak boldly this morning. And Father, in the name of Jesus, our lives would be transformed and changed through the power of your name. And Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. And Father, we thank you for the life that we have in Christ. And Father, we pray this morning that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open our eyes to your message. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever been afraid? And I don't mean someone just sneaking up on you and scaring you, and so there's this moment where you're scared or you're afraid of what's going to happen, but literally afraid of what comes next in your life. Um, I remember when I was um, just starting out in youth ministry, I got a call one day in my office. And it was my mom on the other end of the line saying my dad had had some type of heart problem and was in the hospital. And there is this fear that hits you in those moments of what will it be like or what could it be like tomorrow if I wake up and my dad is not here? As he's been every day for the first however many years of your life. And many of you have experienced those moments. Maybe it was waking up the next day after the funeral. Maybe it was waking up the next day after the divorce. Maybe it was waking up and your kids had just gone off to college. And, and for the very first time, there is this very real sense of fear of what comes next. This fear of what does tomorrow look like because I'm not really sure how I'm going to navigate it. I'm not really sure how to go on from here because tomorrow is not going to look like today. Maybe it's the time you make the decision that I'm leaving the drugs and the alcohol or the pornography behind. And there is this really sincere sense of fear inside of you of how do I make it through this day for these early disciples they are awakened to a new world a new world where Jesus is no longer walking beside them this man that they gave up their entire life to follow and now he has been crucified by the Roman Empire, by the religious establishment, and he is no longer there. And they've given up everything that they have and know to follow him, and now he is not with them. And there is this very real sense of fear of what does tomorrow look like, because tomorrow will not look like yesterday. And so these disciples 
are going after Jesus empowers them. They're going around Jerusalem and they're healing people. And they have this message that they're speaking to everyone they see and know and talk to. That this Jesus that was dead has been raised again and he is alive. And for the religious establishment, there's a problem because they did everything they could to stop this man and his message. I mean, they hung him on the cross because they were afraid of what he was going to do and what he was capable of. And so these disciples are going around and they're speaking to people, in the name of Jesus, rise. In the name of Jesus, you can see. And they're healing people and they're performing signs and miracles And Jesus' name is continuing to be preached even though they killed him. In this point in Acts, they say there's about 5,000 that are following this man. They're following this man who they killed. They're following this man who was put to death. And they have this question, this religious establishment has this question... By what power? By what name are you doing this? And so they talk, and and Peter and John um, have just healed a lame man. We're going to be in chapter 4. They've just healed a lame man. And this lame man is walking around among everyone, and everyone can see what's happened. They, They can see this man who is lame who's now walking. And then in verse 13, we're going to pick up there of chapter 4. This is referring to the religious leaders. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And as I was reading this passage, there is this verse that just jumps out at me. That they had courage, that these religious leaders, that the establishment sees this courage in these men that they cannot explain. And the way that they explain it, they say they took notice that these men had been with Jesus. They took notice... That this Jesus we killed, this Jesus we hung on the cross, these same men are the ones who were with him. And we notice that there is something significantly different in their life because they have been with him. And I have a question for you this morning. Do people... Take notice that you have been with Jesus. Is there something in your life that is so significant and so unexplainable that people literally see something different in your life? to the point that they take notice that you 
have been with Jesus. Do people know that you have been with Jesus? With Jesus. We're going to back up just a, a couple of verses to verse 8. And here is what prompts this question. Verse 8, they, they've asked Peter, by what power, what name are you doing this? Are you healing people? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all these people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which he must be saved. Do you remember the kid in high school who always took things too far? Like always pressed people's buttons, always said, had to just have the last word and say things that took it just a little bit too far? Like if you don't know that kid, I have some bad news for you. You were probably them. But th this is the picture I get of Peter. They've healed this lame man, and he's asked to speak to why he's done this or how he's done this. And he says, yes, you, you know the Messiah that we've been hearing about for thousands of years who's going to come and save Israel. He was here and you missed him. And not only did you miss the Messiah, you were the ones who killed him. You were the ones that put him on the cross. You were the ones who took God's plan and said, our plan is greater. So how are we doing this? Where is this power coming from? It's from the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, that we are speaking this name. You remember what the psalmist David says? That this cornerstone... This cornerstone is going to be the foundation. That was him. And you put him in a grave. But when you put him in a grave, God raised him from the dead. And he is alive. And because he is alive, we now have the power to go and speak boldly in his name. And so this courage that comes up, they're quoting scripture. These uneducated, unschooled, ordinary men that Jesus asked to follow him are going to the religious elite and to the rulers and the authorities, the people who know the law backwards and, and forward, and they're saying, yeah, this scripture that talks about the Messiah, the Messiah was Jesus, and you killed him. 
You're the one that put him on the cross. You're the one that put him in the grave, but God raised him from the dead. You're, you're the reason. You're the way that God's plan is coming into focus. You see, so many times, fear controls what we do and what we say. And the problem is when fear is in control, we make really quick and irrational decisions. We we allow fear of what we see to control what we do. And we asked that question at the very beginning. Have you ever been afraid? As you wake up to a new day that's different than the day before. Have you ever been fearful of that? And the problem is that fear can make us do things that we would never think of doing. And then our Christian circles, one of the things that we do is we come along and say, oh, it's okay, don't be afraid. It says it in the Bible numerous times, 365, don't be afraid. Just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But can we be really honest? There are some times that it is so much easier to say that than to live it out. That there are times in our life where we experience fear because fear is simply an emotion. Fear is something we all encounter. We encounter it every time we wake up to these new days when things are not like they were before, where tomorrow doesn't look like yesterday. And for these disciples, this new day brings this fear and this possibility, but fear is not the absence of being afraid. I mean, we look at this and say, well, they weren't afraid. They just spoke boldly. No, they were afraid. But they had courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the realization that there is something more important than the fear that you are experiencing. Because fear makes us do irrational things. It makes us make decisions without thinking them through. And when fear is allowed to control where we're going, irrational decisions rule the day. I have a friend, a mentor of mine, who says it's okay for fear to ride in the car with you. But fear must sit in the passenger seat. Fear cannot be allowed to drive the car. Because fear only knows where it is not going. It does not know where it is going. And so many times as churches, we allow fear to control what we do. We allow fear to control what we say. We allow fear to hold us hostage so that we get stuck. We allow fear to keep us from taking the next step and following Jesus. Because the honest truth is, we like trusting and embracing what God has done rather than trusting Him enough to follow Him into tomorrow wherever He is taking us. It is so much easier to camp out and embrace what God has done 
rather than to step into a future that he is calling us to and where he is now at. God did not call you to stay where he has cared for you. He cared for you in that place so that you could take the next step forward in following him on this journey. But so often, the byproduct of fear is complacency and comfort. And complacency and comfort will kill courage. They will suffocate it. Complacency and comfort kill courage. Because it is so much easier to embrace where we were than to trust God where he has called us to. Because in that place, we do not know what tomorrow looks like. And because we do not know what tomorrow looks like, we would rather hold on to what we had yesterday. Don't you find it amazing that in the story of the Exodus, God brings them out through the Red Sea. And he takes them and he's leading them into the promised land. And the whole time they're there, it's not going the way they think it should go. And they say, can't we just go back to Egypt? Can't we just go back to being slaves? Wait, God took you out of that. You begged him to do it. And he did And now today does not look like you think it should look, so you want to go back to yesterday and camp out there. And as a church, when we do that, we are no longer a church who is committed to following Jesus. We are now a group of people that is committed to our comfort and complacency. See, nowhere ever did Jesus say, hey, come follow me and it's going to be easy. Come follow me and have a seat. Come follow me and everything is going to be smooth sailing. He says, come follow me. And I don't know where we're going. And I don't know what tomorrow will look like. But trust that I have tomorrow in my hands. And not only do I have tomorrow in my hands, I have you in my hands as well. And I will embrace you, and I will lead you, and I will call you, and the next step may seem impossible. But all I'm asking you to do is have the faith to trust me to take that next step. Have the, tr- the trust and the faith to trust me to take the next step. So in our church, we've been talking about this vision and where God is leading us. And we've said our vision is to exalt Christ, encourage one another, and engage our world. And we told you the very first week, this is the what, not the how. But then we came back and said, well, the what is the how. 
This is how we're going to do it. We're going to exalt, we're going to encourage, and we're going to engage. And as we engage, we're going to help people to exalt. We, We want people to see Christ with their eyes and to trust him. And we're going to do some things as a church, not programs, but we're going to encourage and push each other to engage this world, to get outside the walls of this building, and to be Jesus' hands and feet, to heal the sick and the lame, to preach the good news, to set people free from their addictions. Because we have the good news of the gospel that Jesus is alive. And that we have been sent into this world. Listen, listen, listen. You have not been sent to a building. You have not been sent to sit in pews. You have been sent into all the world to share the good news that Jesus lives. And there is no greater mission on this earth. And so we're going to do some things that we may have never done before. Because we, we have this serious problem with teenagers leaving the church. We've been talking about this over and over. Like 50% of our teenagers graduate across the board, not just our church, all churches graduate from high school and walk away from there, we've got to do something different about it because that's not okay. And so we're going to challenge them. And we're going to try to pull them into community with older people to connect with them because we believe that's what the faith journey is supposed to look like. And so we're going to ask our teenagers to do some things that they've never done before because we think this is better for them. We, we think this is what discipleship is supposed to look like. And so I would encourage you, again, come tonight. This is something new that we're going to do with our e-groups. Come tonight and just hear where we're wanting to go. Be here for that. As someone who says, I want to partner with this church in ministry, be here for that. See, we do not deserve to exist because we have church on a sign outside of our building. We, have, we deserve to exist because we walk in step with the Spirit of Christ who lives in us and who has called us into this world. We don't just deserve to exist because we call ourselves a church. We must be committed to following Jesus wherever takes us and for some that's scary and and I don't want to be really ambiguous and make you think changes are coming because that's not what we're talking about what we're talking about is engaging our world for Jesus and here's where that is different than what we've always done we've been really good at engaging people when they came to us We have not been as good at engaging this world who has never walked inside our doors. That is, that is the mission that Christ has called us to.
that we have to be willing to risk everything. That we have to be willing that tomorrow, if God does not show up and work in some powerful ways, then we may have to close our doors. Or are you willing to have that kind of radical trust in the gospel of Jesus and the power of Christ? Are you willing to stop playing it safe and we're just going to connect to the people who are like us? Because let me tell you this, if we get outside these walls and get involved in people's lives, it is messy. It is difficult. And we're going to get hurt in the process. But if the message of Jesus, if we truly believe what Jesus says, we truly believe what what Peter and John say, that there is no other name. Listen, do you, you believe that? There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Do you believe that? Because if you do, we have to. We have to get that message outside these walls and it cannot come from just my voice it has to come from our voices collectively so verse 13 when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus but since they could What does it say? See. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone in Jerusalem, everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. What what are we going to do? How are we going to fix this problem? We're going to go to these men And we're going to tell them to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Because there was a problem. They could see the man. They could see this man who was walking in front of them. This man that they saw every day at the temple gate as they went in to pray two times a day. Sitting there lame and not walking and now he's walking. He he was hurt and now he's healed. And the problem is we can see him. There's a problem. When you can see something with your own eyes it is extremely difficult to deny it 
And what happens so many times when they see something that they can't explain is they allow fear to rule the day. And it's fear that puts Jesus on a cross. It's fear that puts Peter and John in jail. It's fear that we can't explain what we see. We know we see it. We we know because it's right there in front of our eyes. But we cannot explain it. See, this incredible amount of courage is required to follow Jesus. And there's story after story after story of men and women throughout Scripture who had this extraordinary courage. Not not a faith in their ability to get it done, but courage to trust that God will get it done. That, That if God has given them this vision, then He will see it through if they will simply be faithful to do it. What he has called them to. I mean, you think about stories like Moses. Go to Pharaoh. <clears throat> Can't go to Pharaoh. Who, who are you going to send with me? Or David, fighting Goliath. Or Rahab. Or Mary. The, these men and women who had the faith in God to do what he had dreamed in their life. And trusted him enough to follow him. The courage to take the next step. Not knowing where it would lead. Verse 18. They called them in again. And commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied. Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. Now listen, listen to this. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can explain a lot of things. But what we cannot explain is what we have seen and what we have heard. Every day, we've walked up to the temple gates and we've seen a lame man. And we've heard him begging. But now what we see and what we hear is this lame man who was begging is walking. And he's giving glory to Christ and celebrating what God has done in his life. And we cannot explain that. Isn't it interesting? As the accusations come, as the accusations come, it's not denying that they did it. And it's not trying to get themselves out of trouble. And it's not trying to explain the reason that they did it. 
And it's not them saying, okay, we'll stop. But it's them saying simply, we cannot deny what we have seen or heard. See, for a lot of us, for a lot of us, we wake up to a new day. A new day in our country where the hope that we thought we had for so many seems to be slipping away. A day when tomorrow might not look like yesterday. We wake up to a new day with our culture and our leaders and our economy and all of the violence and things that are going on in our world, and we say, we want to go back to the way it was. And here's the problem. We can't. And the, what we do in response so often is we allow fear to control what we do. And fear makes irrational decisions. And so what we want to do is we want to bow our back and we want to defend and we want to press on for our rights. And we want to argue and we want to debate and we want everyone to know that we're right and they're wrong. But that's not what Peter and John do. Peter and John simply say, we cannot stop telling people about what we have seen or what we have heard. Listen, I have never heard of anyone who came to Christ because they lost an argument or a debate. I have seen numerous story after story of people who came to Jesus because they saw other people's lives changed. Because you cannot deny what you hear and see. And so you want to argue and you want to debate and you want to fight and you want to bow your back and say, well, we're right and you're wrong. Here's the problem. Most people don't listen to that. And so I, I don't have a good answer. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if I have a great answer that's going to satisfy what you're looking for. But here's what I know. Is that person over here was divorced and broken and somehow their life is seeming to come back together. And I know this person over here was addicted to pornography and didn't know how they were going to get out. And yet somehow they are fighting that addiction. And I know this person over here is divorced and hurting and broken and yet somehow there is this ray of light that's shining through. And there's this person over here that lost a child and somehow God is using that for good in people's lives. And it's not a coincidence that we all found each other. It's not just some crazy coincidence that we all ended up here. We believe that we are here because Jesus is doing some amazing things in our lives. We believe that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. We believe that He's given us power to speak His name in boldness and that this world will be changed. We believe that His kingdom is not going to fall and not going to falter and not going to fail. 
that we believe at the end of the day we believe that the tomb was empty great come on church we believe at the end of the day the grave could not hold him we believe that death lost its sting and we believe that Jesus has given us the victory and even though we don't know what tomorrow looks like we're not content with sitting with what God did yesterday even though we don't know what tomorrow is going to lead us where it's going to take us we know grave is empty and that Christ is risen and we know we know that there is something better something bigger than simply what we see and we know that because we have seen and we have heard And I just ask a question. At what point in the story do we look at Peter and John and say they are successful? Because most of the time we look at success as the finished product. Here's a question for you in class this morning. At what point was Nehemiah successful? Was it when the wall was built? Or was he successful as each person picked up a brick to build a wall? As each person did what they could do? So here's the deal. Jesus has called you to take the next step. And he didn't tell you where it was going to lead you. He didn't tell you what was going to happen on the other side. But what he did say is, trust me, follow me, follow me. And for you, maybe you're here that this morning, and that next step is scary, because you don't know what's on the other side. But here's what I can tell you, is there are countless stories in this room of people who were blind and now see. Stories of people who were lame and now can walk. People who could not speak and now they can speak. Countless stories of what this risen, once crucified Savior is doing in the life of His church. And you might have all kinds of arguments. But I cannot deny what I've seen, what I've heard. I can't deny that. Father, we thank you. And Father, we help 
We pray that you would help us to trust when we don't understand. We pray that you would help us to trust in the face of fear. And Father, that you would give us the courage to simply take the next step. Father, have the courage to tell people what we have seen and what we have heard. Because they can deny a lot of things about our life. They can deny a lot of things about our fellowship and about our meeting together. But they cannot deny what is seen and what is heard. And so, Father, give us the boldness of Peter and John as a church to stand on your truth, trusting that you are in control. And, Father, you are calling us out on the water to take the next step. And all you're asking us to do is have the courage to step out of the boat. So, Father, today may we trust you more. Trust you to take the next step in our life. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. Amen.